There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia, of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. This is Mr. Bartlett Finchley, age 48. A practicing sophisticate who writes very special and very precious things for gourmet magazines and the like. He's a bachelor and a recluse with few friends, only devotees and adherents to the cause of tart sophistry. He has no interest save whatever current annoyances he can put his mind to. He has no purpose to his life except the formulation of day-to-day opportunities to vent his wrath on mechanical contrivances of an age he abhors. In short, Mr. Bartlett Finchley is a malcontent, born either too late or too early in the century, and who in just a moment will enter a realm where muscles and the will to fight back are not limited to human beings. Next stop for Mr. Bartlett Finchley, The Twilight Zone. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast, the Twilight Zone series. I'm your host, Jimbo, and once again, joined by my co-host and friend. 80s E, here in the fifth dimension again, on site in the southern layer. Yes, we are in the studios of Jimbo, so uh, we are already up to episode four of season two, Eric. We've actually making quite good progress this this season. Yeah, we're doing good this time. (laughs) I like the time fast, Uh, so we're just having fun doing it, so... um, Eric, before we get started, let me throw a little question your way. Sure. The Thing About Machines is the title of this episode. Um, once we get into the episode, we'll, we'll dive in a little deeper. But knowing what you know about this episode, I really don't think it's that far-fetched about technology today. Do yeah, you yeah. think there is ever going to be a time where a machine will come to own and think on its own and start corrupting data or taking over the world. It's already here, my friend. That's it's what in I'm my saying. closing uh, observations and questions. So I'll save it for the end to more thoroughly answer your question. But yeah, I've got uh, a few bullet points that uh, are in regards to that actual question. So yes, All right. the answer is yes. All right. So with that being said, we'll wait till the end. But let's go ahead and take it away, Eric. All right. This is the Twilight Zone, uh, season two, episode number four, as already uh, mentioned. It's directed by David Oric. Dearman, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. This was uh, episode was written by Rod Serling, and its first original air date was on October the 28th, 1960, and with a total production cost of $53,591.64. So when we move that into today's dollars, um, that looks uh, like tenfold, uh, like ten times the amount now. It's looking at like uh, $537,000. $379.31 with a 902% increase. So about a tenfold change in dollars there. Um, Jimbo, the cast, my friend. All right. So um, pretty much this centers around one guy um, named Bartlett Finchley. Um, he's played by uh, Richard Hayden. Uh, this guy has been in a lot of movies. Uh, most notably, some that you may have seen, Eric, is Sound of Music. 
where you played Max a Death Thriller. Never. Never seen it. <laughs> you, uh, what about Alice in Wonderland from uh, 1951 where he played the Caterpillar? No. What about <laughs> Young Frankenstein where he played yes. Er Falkenstein? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, from 1974. Just, he he kind of <laughs> got uh, typecast as a, this nasally pompous and fussy guy, you know, in all of those movies. Right. Like, if, if you've seen one, you've probably seen his performance in all of them. So Right. Uh, then you have uh, Barbara Stewart playing Edith Rogers. Uh, she was in the movie Airplane, where she was Mrs. Kramer. Great have you movie. seen Airplane? Great okay. movie, a hundred times. Of course times. you have. Uh, she was also in Bachelor Party, um, so as Mrs. Uh, something I can't read because my handwriting kind of just scribbled. So, but she was in Bachelor Party. Then you had Barney Phillips as the TV repairman. Um, he was in the great movie I Was a Teenage Werewolf, where he played Detective Donovan, and I do believe that starred Michael Landon, if I remember correctly. Then you had Henry Beckman as the cop. Uh, he was uh, one of his famous roles was in X Files, where he played D- Detective Frank Briggs. Jay Overholtz uh, was the intern. Uh, he's been in several Twilight Zone episodes, some that we haven't got to yet that is in the future uh, episodes and seasons. Margarita Cordova. Yes, you read that right. Margarita Cordova as the girl on TV, which, if you watch this episode, what's that all about? I don't know. What? That is not... <laughs> I was like, I was like that, that does not gel with this movie at all. You know what I mean? So yeah, the episode, I don't know who wrote that into the episode. But right. That did not seem to go... Right. She together. was just a dancing chick on TV like a yeah. gypsy. I was like, what is this? But uh, she was in Sunset Beach. Um, she was in, been in Criminal Minds. She was in Santa Barbara. And she was in Dallas. So she's been in several TV shows. Uh, then you have Lou Brown as the telephone repairman who's uncredited. Um, he was all in a movie called Airport in 1970, if you've ever seen that, where he played Reynolds. And he was also a regular on Days of Our Lives, known as Sean Brady. Yeah, and I think he was um, in other Twilight Zone episodes later. But it was like a mix-up, I guess, with uh, he's uncredited as a telephone pair, telephone man repair man if i can get that word out but i guess cbs put a bunch of like advertising promos out and his name was all on the script list and everything and then they came back and they're like we don't have anything in the script for a telephone repair man so i guess that's why he ended up on credit it was kind of weird and then yes the the late great rod serling once again uh uh bringing his role to life as the narrator which in this episode is very well done um, because it actually shows him in the TV screen, and you know you see him inside the TV, and I thought that was really well done. So that is your cast of A Thing About Machines. Back right. to you, 80s. All right. Moving on with the uh, shortened plot here. Uh, it says, Bartlett Finchley is an odd man, a writer, who contributes to food, magazines, and the like. Uh, he lives alone and is uh, always it seems in need of a repairman for one piece of household equipment or another. As time has gone by, he seems to be in a constant battle with machines, his typewriter, his television, which all have the same message for him. Get out of the house. He has no intention of doing so, however, and battle the battle begins. So Bartlett Finchley is in a battle with machines. In the beginning episode, it looks like he's in a battle with people as well. He's... <laughs> He's not a very cordial host. He's 
I don't know, man. How would you describe this guy? Who He's, is who is the the young uh, the young lady in the episode at the beginning? Is it just uh, I don't know if she ever. I think she's like a secretary, maybe. Uh, that's what I was saying. I didn't know if a secretary, if it was like a girlfriend, if it was just an acquaintance. I don't think so. But he's just rude to the TV repairman. Uh, he's rude to the repairman who's there because he broke his own TV because he kicked a hole in it or whatever. Right, but I think she has one of the greatest lines uh, oh, in this episode yeah, where she's like, you know, in in the battle of Mortal Kombat between you and machines, yeah. I hope the machines win. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I that is a great like, line. And I was just waiting for Mortal Kombat, you know, yeah. the, the, the music That was hit. a great line. Yeah, I he, love it. He has an artistic way of, you know, breaking someone down and insulting them and they, in very flowery language, I guess. And he just... Uh, the, the the exchange between Barney Phillips here as the TV repairman and Bartlett Finchley is just, I mean, it's just classic dialogue. But, I mean, even through the whole thing, Barney Phillips seems to, he kind of just, he never really gets overly angry and, like, get, you know, gets into a shouting or a fist fight. <laughs> it's not his first time at the house, you can assume. Right, you know right. I mean? But my question to you is, what did um, Finchley do that he was so wealthy? Um because he's got all this um, electronics. He's got a nice size pull out in the uh, yard that comes into play here. He's got a nice car. I don't know if it really ever said where he got his money from. Yeah, just like in the plot, it just says that he's a writer from or who contributes to food, magazines, and the like. So he's just a writer, apparently, and maybe he was a semi famous writer. I don't know. but So he would be the TikTok star of the day? I guess. <laughs> but he just, I don't understand why he's. You know, he's just angry and he's frustrated with his own life, and it seems like yeah, he it takes never, it out on other people. It never really gave much of a background right, into the, the right. why he is the way he is. Right. So. But he definitely would be described as pompous, fussy, uh, angry. He, he tears people down. Well, part of it, the episode does kind of allude to the fact that he's gone, he confides in the secretary. Um, Mrs. Rogers, that he hasn't slept for five days due to these machines who, in his mind, uh, whether real or not, they seem to have it in for him and they are attacking him. So I think he might be a little bit of an alcoholic too. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, plays a role in it too. Because you see him drinking, drinking, and he gets drunk but, later in the right. in the episode. Uh, but we'll get there. So the first thing he breaks is a clock. <laughs> That is dinging on the hour and it doesn't stop and he gets mad and tells it to shut up and it keeps dinging over and he said that's quite enough that's quite enough and he slams it onto the ground and shatters. Then he it like into step on it or something too. Million pieces or whatever. Yeah. Oh so, no! He takes that a fire poker and just beats yeah. it to pieces. <laughs> and this is where uh, Sterling Rod Sterling comes in. Sorry, and he gives a description. Bartlett Finchley, and then we get this cool shot here in a moment. I think of well, of my of Rod in the television set. It's very well done. Giving his intro, that's kind of cool how they did that. Uh, he doesn't just step into the frame um, as in other episodes, but uh, yeah. So we move along. Is there any other high points that stick out? This is the exchange with the. The secretary, and he's not satisfied. Here's another thing: he's not satisfied with the number of pages that she can type. And she's like, "Well, you know, it's like 300 pages for three and a half hours. You know, if you can't yeah. find, find somebody else, then." And he says something to the effect like, 
Well, they, it only took them like 17 minutes to write the Declaration of Independence. Or what's he say? Something about yeah, the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, I've got that right here in my notes. It says, he says, Bartlett eventually states that Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence in just half a day. In fact, the Declaration of Independence was actually written over the course of 17 days by five men. Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, and Roger Sherman, and Robert Livingston. So there you go, Bartlett. You're way wrong on that factoid. Do you think he just uh, makes facts up like that? <laughs> Probably. I mean, <laughs> it's in his nature, right? right? Uh, he he's not. He is not accommodating or warm in any way, shape, or form. I think he's just a lonely, single, crotchety, fussy man who. Yeah, it kind of so. it kind of gives me the uh, Ebenezer Scrooge vibes a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, he's all about his money Definitely and his work and not and the here, real things in life. Yeah, and here Miss Rogers, I think, is about to deliver that classic line that Jimbo just gave a few moments ago, and she really gives it back to him. The TV repairman is kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to go along with this guy. I'm going to push back a little bit on his, uh, you know, insults, but. You know, really, Mrs. Rogers is the one who kind of gives it to her, and this is interesting too. Like he, he just goes from insulting her, and then he wants her to stay yeah, and have dinner. Say, I don't want to be alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, he confides in her that you know he hasn't slept, and he's got all these problems with the his machines, and they wake him the up. The television, the phone. He just yeah. goes on and on. Yeah, and and then he turns on. I think in this, he turns on her again at the end of this scene, and is just like. Tells her to get out, and then that's when she delivers this... The great line. Stunner line. <laughs> oh, man. It's just... He just... It's just just when you think he's... You'll see this later in the episode, too, when he starts making those phone calls. Just when you think you're starting to feel sorry for him, he does something incredibly stupid. Right. Yeah. He, he Just when he starts to warm up and you might... The he might be somewhat endearing. Yeah, he just shuts it all down. So after Mrs. Rogers leaves, that's when the typewriter starts on him and it get out of here eventually. It starts typing on its on its own and it tells him get out of here eventually. So he, you know he has a skirmish with the the typewriter for a few minutes, and then that's when the the margarita is yeah the lady on the television screen who's like the gypsy dancer that the television turns like the itself salsa on. thing yeah and it turns itself on and has this scene and then the typewriter's still going but let me ask you a question uh something there was no t- uh, paper in the typewriter yeah so how is our typewriter paper in there yeah that, that, that was something that yeah that was something a, a goof that uh someone caught on imdb that talks about yeah the the paper reloaded itself um like, so I was still so confused about this. There's highlights here in the middle. We're about I think this is where he destroys through. the TV again, ain't it? Yeah, yeah, he does. Does he take the, something? She and says smash the, she's it like, "Why don't you get out of here, Finchley?" So she's talking to him. Right. I thought he just kicked it, but I could be wrong. I thought he either kicks it or he grabs something and smashes. It. Oh, we go to commercial. Oh, I'm sure I missed. Yeah, so then he's up there and he's just yelling at yeah, all the machines. right like before we go to conver- the first commercial, he's screaming at the top of the staircase. He can't stand machines. Yeah, basically, he's not going anywhere. And now you get to the, the, the scene where, you know, you feel, start to feel sorry for him because he's, he's really at his wit's end and he's making phone calls to, like, basically his short list of friends, if you will. Right. Like, hey, how are you, my dear? I haven't talked to you in a while. They, oh, it's Finchley. 
you know, I just want to know if you want to come over and have dinner tonight. And, you know, he's like, it's been four months or whatever, you know. And she's like, no, basically. And finds out that the the ladies that he's calling on to go to dinner are now married. Mm-hmm. And he's unaware. And he's kind of like, oh, well, I'll send you a, a gift in the mail yeah. or something. So, you know, and he picks up the phone. He gets mad because everybody's, he's done it to him himself but he picks up the phone throws it across the room and it's still ringing or whatever you know what i mean so yeah pulls it out of the wall and this is the classic this, this is, is where great. we get to the classic scene where he's in a uh, fight tussle with his razor, razor. <laughs> electric razor and the razor is floating and i i read in other parts i didn't notice it the first time that i watched but uh, in the scene here forthcoming the razor is like coming down the stairs and you can see supposedly a there's a rope or right. a string or something but uh now you have the telephone the telephone saying get out it why don't you get out of here eventually so you've had the typewriter typing it out you've had the lady on the tv now you've had the phone call with somebody saying get out of here eventually um you care if i throw in some while we're here yeah, I'll throw in some trivia right here in this particular scene Serling recounted to TV Guide how he came up with the idea for this Twilight Zone entry. This one I got from trying to shave with a razor. So this is important of the razor scene. During a given morning when three appliances in my house gave out, a washer, a dryer, and a television set. Boy, we can all relate to that, can't we? when they all go out at the same time. It occurred to me how absolutely vulnerable, Rod said, we are to the gadgets and, gidget, gadgets and gimmicks and electronic gym crackery. Then the progression took the form of a story involving a man whose appliances became entities, and instead of just uh, stopping on him, they went the full route and actually remonstrated against him. Unfortunately, the show did not live up to its potential. On December 12, 1960, in a letter to Owen Kimura of Young and Rubicam, the advertising agency representing the sponsor, Serling backed his statement, adding, Mr. Finchley drowned in his swimming pool. Upon reflecting, I wish I had before I wrote the bloody thing. (laughs) (laughs) So Rod didn't think very highly of the episode uh, as it was uh, finalized in its final form. So yes. the scene, Jimbo. What do we see now? Uh, well, now you got a commotion outside where uh, I don't know how the police officers are already there in like half the neighborhood, and this little <laughs> kid just down there sucking on a, a popsicle. Yeah. But basically, they're saying that his car parking brake wasn't set, and it rolled down the hill. He's like, "I set the parking brake. I don't. I don't understand." So his car's against him now too. Right. <laughs> this kid just out there eating the the popsicle, dude. It's hilarious. Do you do you see though, like? This guy's terrible. Like, he has no lack of concern. Like, his car rolled down a, a hilly driveway, and he doesn't ask if anyone got hit or if everyone's okay. He's basically mad that everyone's on his property, and he yeah, tells he says, him he's, he's got three like, minutes he says, to get like, off you, my you property. You can sit here and look at this amazing sight. He's like, but you're on my property. In three minutes, you got to get off. And he's like, or I'll enlist this cop here to arrest you for trespassing or whatever. Yeah, and then he disparages the kid, cop. This kid just sitting there licking the lollipop, like, or the ice cream, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then he calls everybody idiots, so... Yeah, uh, unbelievable. This is where he goes up and gets a drunk with, I don't know what, brandy or something. He he just totally, I don't know if, well, we don't know if he ever went and got the car and brought it back up to the garage. I mean, he's that. all dressed up like he's expecting somebody, <laughs> like he's in a tuxedo, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's he's uh, highfalutin, he's an upper crust of uh, society, you can tell that's how they wanted him to to be portrayed and so finchley passes out he he kills that whole bottle of liquor or whatever it was yeah and he wakes up from his stumble his slumber stumbling slumber 
He tries to look at the clock that is no longer there because he's smashed into a thousand pieces. And the typewriter begins typing again. Probably more Get Out Finchley's. And, oh, this is where he smashes the TV. Why does he smash the TV again? I totally forgot this part. He goes into the study... And I think it's still saying get out of here. Yeah, I think the TV. But there's no picture seems, on it. Yeah. It and, takes and a he, chair. Yeah. <laughs> takes a chair and smashes it. And So he must not have smashed it earlier. Smoke then. comes out. And yeah, yeah. More of the same. And this is the scene where the razor. Yeah, the razor's coming Like a down. snake slithers down the. I think it even falls on its side at one point, you know, and then it corrects itself back up. But, yeah. I mean, who hasn't had a tussle with a razor every now and then, right? <laughs> <laughs> ah, now we come to the classic car scene. Which, There's a lot of stuff about this. Yeah, car so scene. I'll just give a brief uh, trivia fact. This car is a 1939 Lagonda V12 drophead coupe. It's a British luxury car company that has been owned by uh, Aston Martin since 1947. So it was originally Lagonda, then Lagonda was bought out by Aston Martin, I guess, in 1947. So these, by the way, if you can land one of these cars, I was just doing a little digging on Google. Yeah, they're a lot of money, and they're very rare cars for today. I mean, I'd take one. Yeah, I mean, it'd be cool just to, to have one. I'd take that one just to say, hey, this was in the Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> and it's the car is autonomous in this episode. It's trying it's to kill first, Bartlett. First Tesla. <laughs> yeah, so it's speeding around corners, and it runs over some conveniently placed boxes in the episode, right? <laughs> yeah, so to make this, this car scene, you know, be like this, uh, it took several stunt drivers doing various practical ways of disguising themselves. Um, disguising yeah, themselves. Yeah, like, like... Not when so well. Wheel, like, yeah, <laughs> you can see them. Like, one of them, if it's in the dark shadows, they're all dressed in black from head to toe. And then, um, like, the another scene, they're dressed like the canopy uh, over the top of it. Uh, but also, there, if you, if you pay attention to the scene, you can see tire tracks already on the ground where mm-hmm. they've already done a practice run. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... But honestly, I thought it was still really, really well done. Um, I, I was getting enjoyment out of it. It's kind of funny. Um, but but here's here's my question um, for this. Not six hours earlier, you had a crowd of people out there just from it rolling down the hill. Where's now this thing is speeding through grass, busting down fences, <laughs> knocking boxes over. Where is everybody? That's a good point. Where is everybody? That's uh, episode number one. Well, they were probably they were probably still all uh, asleep. You know, it's probably you know sixties. Everybody went to bed a little earlier. Yeah, and so the car, you know, it does its thing and speeds through the front yard and like Jimbo just described. Then finally, it uh, smashes through a fence and chases Bartlett into the pool where he is thrust into the pool. And then the, the camera pans up from the bottom and it shows the It's really cool because you can watch the headlights as he's yeah. sinking. And you see the headlights in yeah. the water. I thought it was really well done there, yeah, That too. was a really good shot there from the pool the pool shot there. Now, here's my question to you, Eric. They say that they had to pull him up from the bottom of the pool. Mm-hmm. They said, why wasn't, why wasn't it floating? Why was he at the bottom of the pool? I have some trivia on that. Uh I can give it now if I yeah, can. Yeah, let's do it now. If I can find it. Um, here we go. I think it's right here. It says, After the initial telecast, a few viewers failed to understand why Finchley's body did not float in the swimming pool. Failing to notice water dripping from the Lagonda, 
viewers did not realize that the car had landed on top of Finchley. Well, I mean, the, to be fair, the camera didn't show the car landing on top of him, but it was sort of insinuated. Letters asking for an explanation were many. Michael L. Nash of uh, Far Rockway, New York, was among the many who wrote to the network asking for an explanation. Amidst the hundreds of letters Serling received on a regular basis every month, he took the time to offer this brief explanation to each of the viewers who remained puzzled according uh, for the conclusion of the story. And the conclusion is obviously that the car landed on top of him and drowned in him, but that doesn't make sense. Like after the car was gone, why wouldn't his body float to the top? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know that we no, I, really I, get a good explanation. Uh, well, here's it. something else I was thinking. Maybe it's uh, it's it's significant uh, as saying the um, the he had the weight of the world on him. Oh, okay. And that's yeah. why it, it kept him bogged down. The yeah. weight of the machines. Um, let me ask you a question. Do you think that? From the time, um, if you notice, when he was drinking on the couch, and the you see like the frame go and the bottle's empty, and he wakes up. Do you think that he was already dead from that point, and that was just a dream? Like maybe he got up, stumbled out there, and drowned on his own accord without the machines. Possibly, that's, because because that's one of my the car the car's still there. Maybe he never did move it, like we discussed. Maybe he never did move that car, and that car is still down at the bottom of the hill by his pool. And maybe he never moved it, and yeah, you see what I'm saying? My, yeah, exactly. Like my answer to that question would be this, which is maybe another question: Was Finchley actually being attacked by machines, or was he delusional due to lack of sleep? Was he just kind of like right. cracking up, and all of that was in his mind? Maybe the lack of sleep plus the intoxication equals delusional. Delusional, and yeah. maybe he was just you know running down, thinking the car was chasing him and everything. Could um, be. We'll never know. It's the Twilight Zone. That's what I'm saying. questions are left unanswered. I think think there's a... This episode is far above and beyond anything we've seen in this season so far. Um, As far as the story goes, yeah, there's a little bit left to be determined about why he is the way he is. But I think you can gather from the episode the way he is is, determines the outcome that he's going to die. And so basically, you know, you've always said if you think something long enough and hard enough it becomes true mm-hmm. so he thought that these machines were out to get him for how long you know we've seen the repairmen several times mm-hmm. the ladies you know the ladies he's called and all that so did he do it so long that he actually manifested it in his mind that the machines were going to kill him and that's what ultimately happened it's a good possible explanation right yeah. so do you have any trivia that you want i got to some right trivia in here so okay. um actually stephen king has stated that part of the inspiration for his novel christine came from the possessed car chasing finchley um at the climax so christine uh, good movie. christine yeah not bad um let's see here uh we talked about that already um where you can see the silhouette of the men like behind the boxes and driving the car and everything so um when Finchley is being chased by the car, there are two medium shots of his feet uh, stopping in the dirt. Both times he stops by a cigarette butt, which is probably the mark that he was supposed to hit. Both mm-hmm. of the shots also appear to be done in the same place and edited into two different places in the scene. Um, we talked about the string on there. Um, when Finchley smashes the TV, the screen image stays visible for a short time after the screen is broken, revealing that the screen's image was superimposed. Um, let's see here. You got anything to add while I'm going through these real quick? Um, no, just in my questions and observations okay. uh, segment, um, I just have a, a question to leave us 
maybe it can start a discussion. If we wrote an episode today, would it be called A Thing About Artificial Intelligence or AI? Man. Google has developed a sentient AI machine called Lambda. I don't know if it's in, been in the news and on the internet. It's been gaining some traction. Uh, it's basically a it's trained on historic data and picks up on a any bias that's on the internet and it's it's self aware uh, supposedly and it has like the development of like a nine year old I guess you can ask it questions and it's it's well aware of. Well, you've even seen uh, like those uh, police dogs, robotic dogs, mm-hmm. or the, the the robots they have now that. You know, you can come up and hit it with a, a two by four in the back. It falls around and picks up, and it's got pinpoint accuracy of guns. Um, I'm sure um, the military will be using those at some point. Uh, instead of risking human lives, they'll just be sending androids out there to do the bidding. I'm telling you, it's Terminator coming. <laughs> it's the Terminator coming to life. Do you have uh, anything else? Over yeah, there a couple. You- a couple more things at the end of this. Um, one thing is. Uh, they never said that they found any uh, weights or anything in, in Finchley's pockets to mm-hmm. make him at the bottom of the pool. But the police officer says in the episode, I pulled him from the bottom of the pool. But the police officer's dry. He's, yeah, he's not Home wet. dry. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> that doesn't make sense either. You yeah. know what I mean? So Slight goofs in, in the episode. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I personally, I enjoyed this episode. Um, when you watch The Twilight Zone, sometimes you have to put your thinking cap on. It's not just tell me the story in front of me. Right. It's what was the short story or the person trying to convey to me. Right. And that's what I like about this episode because it wasn't cut and dry. There are multiple uh, endings, I guess, you could come conclusions you could draw from this episode. Mm-hmm. And I like episodes like this because it makes me think outside of my comfort zone and, and, and not just be told a story where I sit there and stare at the screen and be like, uh, okay, here's the beginning ending and all that. With this Twilight Zone episode, it makes you think. And the more you think on it, the more you're like, wow, you know, we don't really know what happened. And was it a delusion? Was it true? It's the Twilight Zone, maybe. Right. That's why we yeah. do this. You know what I mean? We don't know. So what do you think, Eric? Well, one other thing as it pertains to, to AI, uh, let's talk about Elon Musk a little bit. <laughs> yes, sir. Because those episodes sort of drove those types of thoughts in my mind uh, as you dig a little deeper. Um, he's warned us about the rapid development of AI, and he's also envisioned a world where all humans will become like cyborgs. You know, he has this development of a basically a chip that's implanted into the one skull, and they can access the internet. Because he says, as humans, we're exponentially a lot slower, and like if we were, well, we're, he kind of describes us as already being connected to the internet somewhat because we carry around these things in our hands all the time, these phones, and we can access information at light speeds far greater than our own brain can produce. So he's talked about that a lot, but he's also quoted a, a saying about AI, it could be terrible and it could be great. It's not clear, but one thing is for sure, we cannot control it. So right. that's kind of... So So if he puts that chip in your brain and you say, and let's say you're laying on your couch, you say, uh, hey brain, uh, play Twilight Zone Season 2, Episode 4, and it just, can you imagine just... Get out of here. No, just, Get in, here. just, just in your eyes. <laughs> Just yeah. watching the movie, you wouldn't even have to have a TV. It was just you would see it. You know what I mean? Right. Or your brain would play it in the brain, and you wouldn't. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's I, really scary and crazy to think yeah, about, but it's endless kind of possibilities, and it learns like at exponential rates. I guess there were they did some study where they, I think it was chess. The AI played a chess player, and then like every two to four weeks it kept going up in the rankings yeah. and then it beat the best player in the world and then on and on and then it beat it beat another ai that they developed 
it's just crazy and it is it's kind of scary along with the fact that it's i think the estimates are that only 17 percent of the workforce that's currently in place now will still be in place like those jobs will still be done by humans everything else especially in our industry like transport and manufacturing will all be done by ai robots well i can tell you where i work um, in the automotive industry that the the robots, you know, the, they have a person putting a piece of, of, of metal on it, hitting a button, and the robots do the rest of the work. It takes two of these pieces, welds them wow. together, bolts them together, you know, and then next thing you know, you have a frame of a truck or a car. It's crazy to sit and think crazy. about. Because not too long ago, 20 years ago, those were all being done by, by humans, mm-hmm. you know, welding and all that. Yeah. So Painting, welding, So they could take that. one robot and pay, basically replace seven people. Look at the cost effectiveness of that. So it won't be long where robots will be doing a We're lot gonna more. They're going to be out of a job. They'll be flipping your burgers out, uh, Burger King and everything else. Yeah, they're going to be driving like, trucks, assembling cars, everything. Flying airplanes, you know, just you, you got drones now. Amazon's looking at drone deliveries. You know what I mean? So it's crazy. It is wild. Will they take over and take you know, take us out. Or the humans Terminator, gonna be extinct, baby. man. Well, we'll have to find out in the fifth dimension, won't we? I guess so. <laughs> so... Um, you got anything else? Nope. On that note, I think we... So, if you were rating this episode... Oh, my rate? Compared, compared to what we've seen so far in Season 2, where do you put this? <sighs> Slightly better than the last two episodes. Uh, Man in a $4 Room. It's better than that episode. And, um, yeah, again, I, I rank it probably like a 6 out of 10. Just slightly above. 6.5 out of 10. Slightly above middle of the pack. It's a little corny, a little cheesy, but that's to be expected. But the parts that help it are it does make you think outside the box. And like you said, you're not turning your brain off and watching the episode. And, you know, it it does actually make you think in context of what we're seeing today. That's kind of cool. Like 60 years ago, this was probably like pie in the sky type stuff. But now it's like actually a reality, (laughs) yeah, which makes it all the more cooler, I guess. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to give it at least a seven, seven and a half, um, just for the fact that, um, as we saw in the last episode, we know we don't really care for the single uh, episode, episodic, uh, uh, you know, shows Mm -hmm. where it's just one person. So this actually had more than one person in Mm -hmm. it for a lot of it, even though you had the segments where he was by himself going Mm -hmm. crazy. I still think he did a really good job, and it held my interest in it. Uh, never spent a $4 room. If he said, what was it, George, one more time, I was going to kick the TV myself. <laughs> so I, I feel Finchley on that one. <laughs> See what I mean? So, um, well, yeah, with that being said, uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Because next week is Halloween, and we will be having a special release of the uh, Tragedy Simmons Twilight Zone series on Halloween. Uh, where we've been talking about one of Eric's favorites that I've been hearing about for years, uh, The Howling Man. So we will be dropping that on uh, Halloween, and I'm here to tell him why he's wrong. So uh, (laughs) with that being said, stay tuned for Monday. With that being said, this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut. Yes, it could just be. It could just be that Mr. Bartlett Finchley succumbed from a heart attack and a set of delusions. It could just be that he was tormented by an imagination as sharp as his wit and as pointed as his dislikes. But as perceived by those attending, this is one explanation that has left the premises with the deceased. Look for it filed under M for machines in the Twilight Zone.